welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, I speak with Alana Jackman about empathy. We speak about the importance of empathy on both personal and business lines and how good empathy can make a positive difference to both and help to get things done more efficiently. Ilana and I have spoken before on the show and I know that I'm not alone in benefiting from her lived experiences, wide knowledge and sage advice. And in this episode we cover some very topical and also timeless hints and tips which I'm sure you, dear listener, will find useful. I certainly did. This episode is brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. So without further ado, here is Alana Jackman speaking with me about empathy in the workplace. I'm delighted to be joined again by Alana Jackman, fundraising coach and consultant and friend of the show. Hello, Alana. Welcome back to Charity Chats. Thank you. Hi, Sam. How, how are you doing? It's uh, We last spoke at the very start of the pandemic. So We did. We did. Yeah, I think um, our regular listeners will remember you from uh, our chat back in it was April 2020. And we spoke in the first few weeks of the pandemic about yeah. the anticipated impact on charities and how we uh, or how they would seek to respond to that. And of course, we've seen a lot change since then. How, how have you been over the last year or so? Yeah, I mean, just working with lots of different organisations to try and um, ride this kind of really uncertain wave of ever-changing kind of reality and, um, yeah, and try and work out how best to support beneficiaries with everything that's going on um, and keep charities kind of functioning when so many of their, exist, you know, usual streams of income have been challenged or cut off Hmm. so yeah it's been busy and um, challenging but uh, you know people are still giving Uh, I don't know what's going to happen now obviously nobody knows what's going to happen now Um, people have been hugely generous because um, those who felt safe and protected and able to work from home had a huge amount of sympathy for those who uh, were hugely affected by the pandemic Hmm. and there's a real Um, separation I guess between those people in society who are fairly well insulated against everything that's happened and those who are just utterly uh, exposed to it. Our listeners will remember that we spoke back on so I think that was episode 81 we spoke uh, in April 2020 episode 60 we spoke as well about objections to charity and uh, what those in and supporting the charity sector can say to those who disbelieve the need for what we do. But of course, yeah. over the last year, it strikes me, I, I suppose we all live in bubbles these days or echo chambers, but it strikes me that maybe more people would understand a little bit more around the impact of charities. We've seen so much in terms of the Marcus Rashford campaigning, the uh, so, so, uh, Captain Tom Moore, you know, and the fundraising that he was doing. Yeah. You know, do you think that maybe people are going to be less likely to object to charities at the moment? That's really interesting. So I guess what you're reminding me about is that slightly toxic environment that there was around charities kind of being a bit of a con um, or, you know, not quite using the money in the way that they Mm. were supposed to or, um, you know, all the revelations about not behaving as they should. Mm. Um, and then, and you know, kind of dirty, 
underhand fundraising tactics yeah um and whether they tipped over into actually kind of abusing vulnerable people mm. um and i i guess i'd sort of put that to the back of my mind that toxic issue that we were dealing with um so i think you're right that this has just um taken over in people's minds but emergency fundraising as we all know you know quick now we need ppe we need mm. um meals for nurses we need um school lunches for children mm. uh that is usually pretty straightforward to fundraise for because people really respond to emergencies and we do as individuals when a friend is in urgent need yeah what we're not very good at in our private life and uh you know and in our sort of philanthropic life um is giving that long-term commitment to something that isn't now now urgent or i'll mm. die is you know just hugely important and needs you know ongoing support um and so as we move into the next phase i guess that's the challenge ahead perhaps for our listeners if you could maybe just remind our listeners a little bit about um your work and what you do and why you wanted to talk today about empathy yeah so i work with lots of different charities oh, and it's an ever-changing list um and i coach fundraisers i coach um you know anyone within the organization who's involved in fundraising so often senior team um and indeed ceos who have a lot to do with fundraising um and volunteers and anybody and then i also do kind of strategy and how do we uh, you know what should our approach to fundraising be mm. and the thing that really struck me that i'm saying to people all the time is that idea of kind of jumping into somebody else's shoes and you know that's how i would define empathy i guess mm. um and i think that's fairly obvious when it comes to fundraising so dealing with a donor you have to try and project into their experience um i guess it's also hugely useful in all of your professional um interactions and i think more so of course to everybody but more so to fundraisers because the interesting or challenging thing about being a fundraiser is that you are the only one who's invested in doing the bit the bit that you do um and what do i mean by that i mean that in other areas of work um you'll have a shared agenda people you're working with in different departments within your organization will um want to achieve the same ends as you whereas in fundraising um you're actually asking people to go out of their way to do things that are not on their to-do list to cooperate with you on something that um is more work for them and is not not within their targets um so when you ask somebody who works with your beneficiaries if they can get some feedback or photos or quotes or um case studies or you know give you the budget you know budget detail or take somebody on an a uh project visit you're asking them to do more than 
they than you know they're supposed to do and so to bring that understanding and empathy to their to that interaction is also really useful it's hard isn't it because i know that uh, and I've, I've experienced this myself when you're talking with as a fundraiser you're talking with potentially uh, people working on the front line very stressful situations very stressful jobs working to do the the work that you're trying to raise funds for it is it almost feels embarrassing or difficult to um explain to those people and kind of patronizing too you know it's such a such a tricky way of doing it but uh, to say you know look we need to work on this together. I really need this stuff from you, or I need you to do this for me, you know, and, and uh, it makes a big impact on the work we can do moving forward in the future. Yeah. So, I mean, look, if you really want to solve it, and I advocate this wherever I can, um, whenever I'm working with people, when they're hiring and, you know, and in smaller organizations, I talk to them about putting fundraising into everybody's job description. Mm because if you're it's about expecting it um if you are expecting that as a manager of a you know a service within the charity you it's part of your role too and you know you're expected to spend blah hours a month um you know putting information together and and working with fundraising then that doesn't feel as onerous um but you know that apart that's why I wrote a blog about empathy because I think we get all of us get completely into what it is that we need um and I think we're aware enough perhaps not to do that with donors although I don't think we're always aware enough not to do that with donors Mm -hmm. but we certainly could do it better with our colleagues um and we have to work cooperatively with them and we are asking them to do things that are not their not in their job description um and you can't fundraise without um really really working in partnership with you know all these parties who you want to do stuff that is not on their to-do list you know that's the only way you can look at it it's on no one's to-do list to give you money it's on no one's to-do list to give you case studies um you know that's what you want so uh you have to find a way to make it what they want as well. It's a really interesting point about the getting a kind of fundraising into everyone's job descriptions. It made me think of a, um, a time a few years ago when I was at a, a different charity. I was actually visiting another charity and um, the uh, we were with a group of um, funders going around looking at the the charity and one and the person showing us around was actually a member of the projects team and at one point uh, they were talking about the the charity and the work the charity were doing and one of the uh, funders said well how much would that cost if you needed to do that differently how much would that cost and it was very specific to a piece of technology and um and the project person said oh I, i don't know and that was it and I, I remember thinking as a fundraiser, there's a really, there's a missed opportunity there, either knowing the cost of that thing that you want, so kind of the shopping list at the very least, or saying, can I just get put you in touch with this person or can I put this person in touch with you? Yeah. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, I Let think you got resolved. Out, yeah. But, yeah, absolutely. I thought, you know, and I suppose that's the other thing, isn't it? On the kind of on the project side, 
those staff are coming into contact with so many people that there is an opportunity for a lot of fundraising that might not be going on. The fundraisers in that organisation might not be getting that face time or opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just, you know, it's so difficult to, you almost feel like you're wasting your colleagues' time when you've got a donor visit and so you're briefing them, you know, don't mention this, do mention that, uh, you know, these are some of the things that they'll want to see or talk about. Mm -hmm. If they ask you, how do you fund this, then answer or tell them to, you know, that you'll get, that we'll get back to them, you know, and to give them all that kind of nuanced behaviours that we do around donors, like, that's not their job. You're asking a favour. It's, it's really, you know, we really ask a lot. And so I guess, you know, to bring it around to how empathy is relevant here. Um, that's about, you know, asking yourself, what is the ideal outcome that I want from this interaction with this person? What does success look like? What are the priorities of that person? So can I, can I work out, you know, the person on the other side of this conversation, what matters to them? And therefore, if I were them, what would motivate me to do this thing? So, you know, with a, a colleague, it might obviously be funding for their project or new funding for their project. Um, but equally, um, you know, it's about gaining new skills. They might be interested in gaining new skills, um, you know, perhaps to get, uh, you know, it might be helpful for them um, in their career. Um, but it's about working, it's about working it out and it's about being open to that so that you can, and, you know, making it as easy as possible for them. This is a piece of work we need to do. Can we dovetail it with the evaluation you're already doing? Can we uh, invite a few donors in together? Uh, you know, what's something that you want to, um, that you want to talk about and get out there and get more support for? Maybe I can find you some donors who, move in those circles or have influence in those circles um, and you know and try to kind of meet their objectives I guess I mean I suppose also all of this probably depends partly on the size of the charity I, I know that I've worked for uh, some large charities where I've never you know very very rarely had the opportunity to actually go and see the projects you know I've been at a computer and uh, you know dealing with kind of financial stuff or whatever but I think the and that's that's been challenging and that's not something actually I've, I've really enjoyed that much because of that I've missed that opportunity to see the work and see the impact but in terms of working with project stuff I know some small charities might might actually be the fundraiser and the, the project staff themselves but um, in those scenarios where maybe there's a bit of a gap between the project staff and the fundraising stuff I mean I've I've seen um and I've got a lot of kind of, I suppose, good uh, relationship building, I think, out of that as a fundraiser with project staff. When I've tried to incorporate more of their stories, more of their insights and knowledge um, in my fundraising pitches, for example. And in the case studies we use, sometimes at some organizations I've worked at, we've had that person. We've had the, um, you know, the community um, mobilizer or whoever, actually the face of our direct mail appeals and things. And that's been quite successful. Yeah. Um, and I think that that, again, you know, really, that's channeling empathy, isn't it? Because that's giving them a platform mm. and, um, you know, look like 
celebrating them and 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 the contribution that they're making and they are the face of the person who because you're not going to put your beneficiaries on your necessarily put your beneficiaries faces all over something um you know many charities that's just absolutely not appropriate mm -hmm. um so the people who you know are face to face with hundreds and of uh of your beneficiaries they can tell their stories instead and that's a really nice way of doing it um and um you know i've i think just building that understanding that you know i'm a fundraiser i kind of want the mawkish tear-jerking detail you're a you know a practitioner and hugely professional and you are not going to tell tear-jerking stories that's just not the way that a professional practitioner will speak about people's personal experiences um and so finding the middle ground there that an understanding that they are being professional when they talk about a client rather than a child when mm. they talk about um you know signposting them to services rather than you know some more emotive term about finding an answer for their meet their crisis or whatever we would say what one example i can think of is i work closely with a head of research at one um, one role and we would kind of tag team for conversations especially with major donors you know there would be uh, we'd, we'd have a meeting with a major donor, it'd be the head of the re head of research, that'd be myself. And we'd sit down with that major donor. And what was interesting was that we had a good relationship, but we we recognised going in, the head of research said this herself, that, uh, you know, she, just as you said, she would, she could focus on the the figures, the data, you know, the, the impact, but it was kind of my role to really talk about the emotive side of the stories. And what was interesting was we, we did this a few times and the major donor, who, whatever their interest was in, you know, if their interest was in the emotive storytelling, then, you know, I would get most of the airtime in that conversation. But if yeah. they're, if they're, if they're, especially if they were more scientific or more knowledgeable about the science, yeah. then it would be the head of research that would do a lot of yeah. the, uh, the speaking. And I would be there to, you know, really learn and take notes and then try and take that information onto other conversations. So that worked yeah. really well. And we, we were quite successful working in that way. I think what's really interesting there is what you're saying is you need to understand the donor, right? So Absolutely, yeah. if I was the donor, what would I want to know? And so you're you're taking the temperature there. Are you more into the nitty gritty of the, you know, the, the facts and the figures? Mm. Or are you more into the more emotional um you know side of the impact yeah. and which one is is more motivating to you uh, and that's what we're doing when we're in a meeting that's what we're there to find out mm. um you know how do i talk to you about this subject and make it connect um i think that you know empathy can be seen sort of all the stuff i'm talking about about thinking what would they do what would their motivation be you know that can sound like a really long-winded way of like this is my colleague and they couldn't do their work if they didn't have money so surely when i phone them up and say i need a case study by friday they should get me a case study by friday um and you can try it that way but i think we all know that will fail um sure. but i think my point here is that if you don't empathize with your colleagues and your donors you just waste your time 
mm. because you can exert a lot of energy emailing colleagues saying I need this this and this for a proposal for a million pounds um, and getting absolutely nothing back or you could pop to their desk and say look there's this amazing opportunity. I don't know if it's going to come off, you know, manage their expectations. Um, this is the person, this is what it's all about. Spend a bit longer, have a conversation, ask them what their availability is, ask them, you know, what they would want that to make possible, you know, do that nurturing mm. empathy piece. That's going to, that's going to get you the result that you need. You know, the easy send, send people emails stuff. Again, that's what I need. And, th and there's no excuse now, is there? I mean, we've, you know, I suppose the most of the emails I send are Zoom invites. You know, it's, it's kind of, we have uh, quick 10-minute, 15-minute chats. It gets so much more done with the, than the, uh, the long email chains. I mean, maybe that's me, but I'm, yeah. you know, I love that. I love, I love yeah. that. I get more FaceTime with colleagues now than I've ever had before. I don't know if they love that. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they do. Um, obviously, it's nice to speak to a human, but... But if somebody actually says, right, here's the thing and this is what I need and let me make it as easy as possible for you. So rather than saying, you know, this is a, a, a great example, rather than saying to somebody, can you send me a case study? Hmm. I will say, can I phone you? Can we have a 20 minute conversation? And I will just ask you all the questions. Yeah. And you'll write it. And I'll write it and I'll yeah. send it to you and you can approve it. Yeah. It's 10 times quicker. Hmm. Um, it, and it's not time saving to ask them to send you it because you've got to be aware of their time, 20 minutes of their time to talk to you and tell you something about what they've made possible mm. um, is a nice thing. Yeah. Sitting down and writing a case study, you know, reading the seven questions that I've sent them and trying to work out what to say in response. And then I phone them to clarify something or to try and, you know, pivot it so that it's a bit more emotive or whatever it is, you know, it's just using up lots more of their time. Um, yeah. And so doing the hard work um, mm -hmm. is, is really, you know, that's the piece of, of empathy is understanding that they, um, you know, what people, what would make it just easier for them to do it. And you were talking about, uh, I suppose, from what you were saying, it made me think, you know, I suppose it's like any relationship, it's about give and take, isn't it? Reciprocity. And if uh, we have uh, kind of colleagues who we're always asking for help, we're never giving it, we're never giving them back. Maybe even it's just about giving them back the result. Because again, I, I've probably been a you know bad practitioner in some cases where I haven't actually said yeah. that you case study colleagues? you gave me. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. That's, yeah. that conversation we had those months ago led to this, you know, and I'm I've probably missed that, you know, because I've just moved on to the next thing and haven't always thought yeah. about it. That's that you know that's why I think it's really interesting to think about or really powerful to think about putting all the needs of the organisation into everybody's. Um, job description mm. so if you got soft credit as a practitioner for helping with fundraising you know you got recognition for that that was on your targets that was you know you get what you measure sure um and you know i think that's that's an interesting way of then making dovetailing every you know everybody's sort of objectives 
Mm. Um, but yes, in lieu of that, we are we're begging for people's cooperation, and therefore we need to be really sensitive to asking for it nicely, making it easy, considering their objectives, and then doing the stewardship, feeding back. Um, which again is, you know, the how would you feel? Like, I need this, 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 and this. And you do this rush piece of work for a million pound proposal and you get it done in two weeks. And then what, they don't hear? That's like, that's not how you treat somebody if you thought about it. What about the skill of empathy? Do you have any views on that? I mean, is it something... Does empathy require lived experience? Can it be something that we we learn or that we develop, uh, regardless of whether we're actually we've got uh, very much in common with the people we're trying to build empathy with? That's really interesting. I mean, I definitely think it takes lived experience. To me, it seems if, that you know all the people I've coached, they take to it quite quickly when you ask them about it. I was working with somebody, she was emailing alumni to try and get them engaged with fundraising, get them back involved with their university. She wasn't getting many responses. And so I said to her, so if you got an email from a random person from your university, would you read it? If it said, you know, we'd like to get in touch with you, would you do that? Would you respond? Would you delete? And she was so sort of unenthused by the idea of receiving an email from her (laughs) from her her alma mater I sort of said you know she got it she suddenly got it oh okay yeah I get it now sending an email and getting them to email me back was what I wanted Mm. and so um you know what do they want so it is a learned skill but actually we can all you know we can all do a bit of imagining I mean kids do don't they I mean we see it I see it with my my son you know he's only little but he's he seems to have he's kind of learning empathy now you know he, he's and I suppose also partly it's it's learned behavior from you know being told what not to do sometimes as well but the kind yeah. of seeing the impacts of playing in the playground with other kids I remember that when I was a little kid and the yeah. uh, you know the give and take of it they're trying to put yourself right. in their shoes as exactly you say right. so yeah, you know do you like it when someone sat on the bottom of the slide when you're trying to go down the slide I still don't no, I don't I still don't like that no <laughs> No, I don't. So therefore, don't sit at the bottom of the slide. There's somebody waiting to come down. Um, Yeah, and I think, you know, we've all been in work situations where people have kind of um, made their emergency our emergency Mm. uh, or, um, you know, managed us badly. Uh, And so, you know, you just think, actually, wow, yeah, no, I wouldn't like that. Um, And you don't have to actually know what they'd like. You actually just have to ask. But it's the awareness just to, to, to even think kind of, look, how can I make this as straightforward and easy for you as possible? Um, you know, what's a reasonable deadline for you if I need to do it in the next two weeks? You know, it's mm. it's um, it's not bowling in like, I've got a chance to get a million pounds that's like, you know, 25% likely help, <laughs> um, uh, which is what we often find ourselves doing, I think. We've talked um, in the most recent episode, we were talking about, well, of course, we're recording this in August, but this is going to go out a little bit later. But in, in an episode we did, episode 151, we we're talking about leadership. And it occurred to me that, you know, we've talked before about leaders 
every different level that everyone can be a leader within their you know realm of influence i suppose and so that that kind of leadership skill includes empathy doesn't it yeah absolutely yeah absolutely. and so i, I suppose yeah. that's that's a kind of another thing that maybe uh, charities uh, kind of senior leadership in charities should be prioritizing in terms of encouraging people to show empathy build kind of more resilient closer working teams through that and then also maybe it's an added thing but an additional thing but kind of building that self-belief in people to uh, and skills in people to then become good leaders at all levels of an organization yeah absolutely and you know when you get into a leadership position it's about remembering what it was like when you weren't if um you sent a document to your manager that you'd been working on you know quite with a lot of your effort for a week or so and then they sent it back saying yeah it's fine is that the response you wanted after a week working on a document to them you know it's ticked up and fine but actually if you just channel some empathy you'd say that's a really strong document and thank you I can see that you've worked really hard on that and that's good to go that's what you would have wanted when you were being managed was just a little bit of thank you very much good job you know a job well done um and it's very it's very easy to forget what it's like um you know when your manager comes to your desk and says i need to talk to you you know that feels a bit like oh god what's happened yeah. um they might just mean i need to talk to you <laughs> um when i get a phone call from my kids school they will say um there's nothing to worry about yeah, <laughs> that's right, the that's first good. thing out their mouth yeah is, yeah hello Ilana there's nothing to worry about um I I mean I'm waiting for the day when I get a phone call where they say there's there's something to worry about yeah they don't um, say it yeah but you know your kids have forgotten their lunch I don't need to be freaked out that I'm it's like that isn't it? especially as a parent I mean it's it's like there's there's no delay is there it's suddenly you almost you're on the verge of worry all the time at least that's how I feel yeah 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 so. phone call from the school right like yeah that's scary oh, so gosh that's about they've got the empathy to have mm. trained every single person who ever phones you from the school to mm. say there's nothing to worry about um and that's a really smart way of of handling parents and so you know when you go and say let's go and have a chat you can say it's a it's a good thing i've seen you know empathy in really interesting ways in the charity sector Diabetes UK did a really interesting thing when Facebook first started hmm. that so kind of the start of social media that they set up a Facebook page and invested a few thousand pounds in you know designing a good Facebook page um, and they didn't really know what was going to come of it it was a bit of a leap in the dark um, if you can cast your mind back to the idea that it was a leap in the dark to have a Facebook page for a charity <laughs> but but it was um, and they just, the empathy part was, let's give a place to people who have diabetes where they can sort of, they can be in charge of the conversation. Mm. Uh, you know, just this sense that there's a community of people who, who want to have, um, who want to engage with other people within their community. Um, and it was amazing for the charity was mm. really really strong results because suddenly all these people were self-selecting 
coming forward to join the group because they wanted to have those conversations yeah. um you know the thing about conditions like diabetes is yes they're fairly common but mm. amongst your friends and relations you'll know very very few people who have it and so that community of people to discuss insulin with or you know snacks kind of or peer support group wasn't it i suppose it was it was the first peer but not just peer support like we like the face-to-face stuff Hmm. um you know peer support where there's you know thousands and thousands of people um from all around the country you know who you can who you can talk to Hmm. um and parents of people with diabetes and siblings were you know so all these people kind of put themselves forward to say i want to I have an interest in that who they didn't know about before. And so it was a powerful place for them to do fundraising and for there to do consciousness, you know, awareness raising and, um, you know, became an, a, you know, a really useful, you know, virtual home. Hmm. That's um, really, I really like that yeah. virtual home. I, I guess that's what, since then, a lot of charities have, have tried to create that. And I, I guess even internally, the, the idea of, I mean, I, you know, we have Zoom, uh, meetings on a regular basis as most people probably do these days and I find that that is a a nice opportunity to have a quick chat you know we're not in the office all together like we used to be and uh, and do you think things like kind of zoom the kind of the, you know some of the uh, things that have come out of the pandemic you know use of zoom and teams and all these other uh, face-to-face kind of um, digital apps is that going to help us with empathy do you think rather than hinder us um I mean I guess don't don't blame the tech. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's how the you way use it's used. It, it? yeah. It's how it, it's how you use it. You know, I think we've definitely seen um, it used in hugely empathetic ways mm. uh, through the lockdown. If you think about actually people who have had very homebound lives, you know, always um, are suddenly finding that they've had this huge new access to um you know streamed uh, arts and culture mm. and events and you know socializing and and all sorts um and much more sort of thought i think that we can take some of this stuff and use it thoughtfully you know yes we were using zoom because there was no option but now when you think about it uh, and many of the charities that I'm working with, you know, especially in the arts world, you know, are saying, wait a minute, we were being thoughtless before. There's people who can't get to London to go to a play. You know, there's people who have accessibility issues or mm. all sorts of mental health challenges. And why shouldn't they have access to... to um, or costs, you know, presumably. I, I guess, you know, cost, if you're having to travel yeah. all the way down to London and get tickets for things, and it can yeah. be quite costly. Concerts. Yeah. So, well, exactly. So, you know, they suddenly kind of realised that there's a, that the huge accessibility, um, you know, and we'd always sort of thought, no, got to be in person or not at all. Mm-hmm. And if we go down that route, people will stop coming. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really about that level of understanding that, um, we're just going to have to find a middle a middle ground so that uh, people can have access. Alana, what are the benefits of embracing empathy in the workplace and what role do leaders have to play to ensure this culture is embedded in an organisation? 
So firstly, people are happier when they're understood. Um, and they're also more likely to cooperate, you know, and, and work together as a team towards common goals. Um, so I don't think it's about, I think you could think, uh, you could respond to this sort of, you know, empathy is really important thing by thinking that I'm prioritizing staff's feelings above, you know, the cut and thrust of what actually needs to happen in an organization to meet the needs of beneficiaries. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm saying that in order to achieve the needs of beneficiaries, you, you need an environment that you need to get the best out of your staff and this is the way. Um, and so understanding what it's like for people and what their priorities are. Um, and, you know, open dialogue is the way to get there on what are the challenges and what are the priorities, um, you know, the goals and the sticking points. Uh, we're so often wrong about why someone is acting how they're acting. And if we don't have open dialogue, then we're not going to be able to be empathetic to people. You know, we think shy people are unfriendly. We think defensive people are aggressive. Um, you know, and uh, why is that person not giving you any time and not, you know, not cooperating? Because they've got enormous pressures on them. You know, not because they don't think fundraising is important, but because, you know, they've got a million other priorities and so we take things personally when we should we jump to our own conclusions and actually you know I think it's that open dialogue on how we're going to get this thing done what our challenges and goals are uh, and then working together like that so a lot more conversation um, but it's not a, it's not kind of a, a snowflakes charter it's it's all about how people feel um, it's about understanding how people feel and, and then getting you know and then achieving your targets with that in mind so my final question is we're we're asking contributors now to just uh off the top of their head say what it is they like most about the charity sector and what they're finding the biggest challenge in the charity sector at the moment um wow what do i like most about the charity sector quite a broad question isn't it yeah it's a really broad question i think i like the people hmm. i like all the people who I meet who care about improving um, the world in the way that they're improving it. Um, and it really matters to them. Um, and they're just interesting and diverse and um, bring their own experiences and all the conversations that I have with people. I just, I've, I meet amazing people um, and I really enjoy it. And I enjoy learning about the charities that they're, that they're working for and um and yeah and hearing about their work and, and what they're doing um yeah and their commitment i just i really enjoy i really enjoy the people i meet that's i think my favorite thing what is it you dislike what do i dislike most i mean i guess you know the obvious thing is that this idea that you need to you know, empathy could be interpreted as manipulation, right? Sure. Um, and I guess it's it's that fact that you sort of, we need to manipulate people in order to get them to, to make a difference. Um, that's not ideal. Mm. But, um, you know, I think that, as I said, you need to appeal to people. You need to understand what will motivate them. And it is a choice to give to charity or not give to charity. We, it's not mandated. But yes, I think tipping over into manipulation um, is, you know, it's a shame. It's it's sad for those who care and it's 
a bit Machiavellian. Maybe, maybe kind of the, the difference between that kind of Machiavellian, Machiavellian manipulation versus the the kind of the positive of drawing people together and working with them to affect social change or, or progressive change or whatever. It probably, I, in, in my view, I guess it comes down to the motivation of the individual, doesn't it? If if I'm, you know, just out for myself, you know, seeking to just, you know, earn a living um, and uh, and not don't really care about the cause, don't really care about the supporters. If I were that that breed, um, and I don't know how many people are, but uh, you know, or may, maybe it's a kind of a situational thing. Maybe sometimes we're less mindful about the impact, and therefore. Uh, some negative practices can come in but i guess uh most of the time i like to think that i i'm looking at supporters as wanting to do the same thing that i'm wanting to do and trying to find ways of working together to do that you know what i mean i mean i'm, yeah. I'm i don't think i'm i suppose i'm of the view that um not everyone i'm going to meet could be moved to support the cause that i exactly I'm trying to move right. into. in fact three quarters won't right yeah 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 most people would like to see change in the world um and our role is to understand what is the change that they want to see and can we be the conduit to that um i think that you know where we tip over into manipulation is you know we have targets and we have fundraisers are given you know if the organization talks in really financial terms within the fundraising department and we need to raise this money, I've heard people get up on podiums um, and say, we're setting out to raise 250 million pounds, not we're setting out to, you know, change the world in this way. Mm. We're setting out to raise 250 million pounds. Um, where an organization gets into kind of financial targets and, um, and obviously you're going to have financial targets and you need to, but as a fundraiser, it's about keeping yourself um, connected and not getting, not becoming totally about, no, I, I've got a meeting next week with my manager and I need to raise blah, tens of thousands of pounds. You know, you do have that pressure coming down on you and it's quite challenging sometimes not to let that, pressure sort of come out um with donors and so that's the kind of that's the dual bit that you're asking from people you know it's not simply you know I'm just motivated to save people no you have a job and you have targets and you need to raise that money and um it's frustrating when they say I would have I would love to support that Mm. we've used all the funds for this year you think You've used all the funds for this year. You'd love How to support it. How could you use all your funds? You know, this if luck was on my side, exactly. If luck was on my side, I would have hit my target now. <laughs> and now I've got to go and find five donors to replace you. Like that is not easy um, mm. as a fundraiser. There's so much kind of luck involved um, that I think sometimes it's hard to stay focused on the empathy and the emotional side of it. Yeah, absolutely. But well worth it from the sounds of it, not only in terms of the the possible impact of uh, building good relationships with colleagues and supporters and beneficiaries, but also, I guess, on yourself, on your um, your job satisfaction and your level of enjoyment and, and, and love for your cause, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, staying connected to the cause is, is definitely the way to do that. 
Um, and also like understanding managers who who get that actually you can only ask the number of people that you need to ask for the amount of money you need to ask them for. And then some sometimes it comes off and sometimes it doesn't. So I think, yeah, for me, the next time you want someone to do something and as fundraisers, we spend most of our time trying to get people to do something, whether that's a colleague or, or a donor, um, take a moment to think from their perspective and make it both easy and attractive for them to do the thing that you want them to do. Elana Jackman, thank you for contributing again to Charity Chats. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. A big thank you to Elana Jackman for contributing again to Charity Chat. As we know, Elana coaches senior fundraisers and CEOs, as well as helping to develop strategies for charities. And it was fascinating to look at empathy and how that lies at the heart of effectively running and planning charities, as well as in the day-to-day exchanges between people like me, charity workers. I liked Alana's statement that empathy is about jumping into someone else's shoes. Understanding your colleagues' wants and needs is a fundamental step in finding ways of working collaboratively with them. Fundraisers need to show a high level of empathy in order to understand their colleagues as well as those they're seeking external support from, perhaps more than other roles, because a fundraiser needs others to help them achieve for the organisation. I guess we all need each other, whatever the role is that we have. You need support of one type or another from colleagues in order to learn, develop and do incorporating time into our planning to understand our colleagues, our collaborators, is one way of delivering more effectively, but also has the knock-on positive effect of making our lives easier and hopefully more pleasurable too. After all, it's great to know and like the people that we work with. And making friends to make funds sits at the heart of many fundraising successes. And going back to last week's episode with Bill Woolsey, Well, he said you can't reach people you hate. Perhaps empathy is one way to learn to love those that you need. All of us get completely into what it is that we need. We need to stay mindful that as any donor-centred approach to fundraising relies on us understanding the needs of funders and donors, so too should any approach to engaging with colleagues to further our goals be about finding the mutual wins and reciprocal relationship building that lies at the heart of any great relationships. Fundraising is about building partnerships internally as well as externally. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Charity People, for enabling us to share insights, expertise and best practice across our sector. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Aksumit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.